Welcome to our class, The Reign of Life, our study of Romans 5 through 8. There are two handouts we're going to work through today. You will be lost if you're not able to look at them visually, and forgive me for not being able to screen share with you. But if you're able to uh, hear me and look at the handouts, that's the ideal situation. I am much less significant to be seen. There it is. Hey, Shirley. Woohoo! Very good. There, there you go. Beautiful. There they are. Hi. So, guys, make sure you're able to see the handout. Let me tell you why we're doing this, and then we'll pray. Um, many Christians are confused about the role of the law in their lives and um, aren't so clear on the idea, the difference between sanctification by faith and sanctification by work. So I'm going to tease this out today as a little interlude between Romans 7, 1 through 6, and when we get in next week, hopefully, to, to chap, uh, chapter 7, 7 through 13. So let's pray, and then we'll look at these two handouts. Hopefully it brings some explanation and clarity to you. And let me remind all of you, if you would, mute as you join us, mute as you join us. Father, thank you for this day. We're grateful for this technology to be together, see and hear one another uh, despite being apart. We long to be together. That's because you've made us for each other. And best of all, you've made us for yourself and you've reconciled us to yourself through Christ, our Savior, the mediator, the good shepherd of our souls, the one who laid down his life for us. It was taken up again, guaranteeing we would live forever. So we praise you, Jesus, as the resurrection and the life. And we pray for clarity in our hearts and minds and our lives about what it means to live by the power of the Spirit and to live by faith and to enjoy the law of God, but not use it unlawfully, but use it as the perfect law of freedom. Help us as we learn and grow and form us by the power of the Spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen. The first handout we'll look at is two ways to God established by him. And there are two ways to have a relationship with God, one through the law and one through faith. And this is what the Bible shows us. And uh, this side of the fall, there's only one real way to have a relationship with God, and that's through faith. So go to the bottom of the handout where I've got you, and we're going to work our way up from the bottom to God. The left-hand side of the handout is uh, how you know God through a relationship with God through the law. The right side of the handout is what it looks like to have a relationship with God through faith. And we're going to com contrast these two things. So down at the bottom, here you are. You want to have a relationship with God. You want to know God. You want to be with God forever. You want to, you want to be in fellowship with the one who made you see this glorious person, the living God. What is the issue then? We're going to look at a number of different issues as we move up the page that tease out the difference between uh, being in relationship with God through the law on the left versus being in relationship with God through faith on the right. <clears throat> Here's the first issue. What does each require? What does the law require? If you're going to be in relationship with God through the law, what does that require of you? It requires of you to have power to fulfill the law the desire to fulfill the law, and the knowledge of what the law requires. You need all three things. Okay, If you're going to be in relationship with God, you need to know everything there is about the law, have the desire and the power to fulfill it. In contrast, the way of faith, of course you need to know what God requires of you, but you have to realize that you are powerless 
and helpless to keep the law of God. You don't have it in you. That's because we are dead in sin. We're plagued by sin. We are unable to give God what he requires. That's sort of the first fact of relating to God by faith. I can't do this. I'm helpless. This is why Jesus came to call the sick. He came to call sinners. He came to call the lost. Those are synonyms for people who know they in themselves are powerless to keep the law of God. They're helpless to keep the law of God. So that distinguishes what the law requires. Uh, knowing God through the law, you've got to have the power, the desire, the ability, and the knowledge of what it requires, the way the via uh, fide, the way of faith is. No, when it comes to the law, I don't have what it takes. Moving up. What is the next issue is the promise. What is the promise of the law relating to God through the law? The promise of the law is do this and you will live. It was the promise made to Adam and Eve in the garden. They were called to obey God perfectly and they were called specifically not to eat of that tree. If they were to fulfill that requirement, they would have lived forever in paradise. We wouldn't be having this discussion as it were. The promise of the law is do this and you will live. You see that promise come up again as the law is given to Israel. Do this and you will live. The promise of a life by faith is believe and Christ will save you. So faith is putting trust in Jesus Christ. We are, we are taking seriously Christ's promise to save anyone who calls on his name. That's the promise. Jesus promises to save helpless powerless, weak sinners by what he's done and not by what we did. So both of these things have promises involved. Next issue, the method. Knowing God, being in right relationship with God through the law, what's the method? It's ultimately self-reliant effort. You have to do it. If you're going to know God by the law, it's up to you. The method of knowing God by faith is receiving grace, and trusting Christ. Receiving grace and trusting faith. We open these hands that receive the gift. This is how, this is why Paul uses the, the phrase free gift five times at the end of Romans 5. The free gift, the free gift, the free gift. The way to know God by faith is you receive the free gift and you trust that that is enough. What's the next issue? It's the power supplied. What power is supplied to you by seeking to be right with God through the law? None. The law proscribes the way of holiness. It cannot produce it. It's simply there on paper telling you what you have to do in order to be right with God. It can't produce those things. What is the power supplied in knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ? Nothing less than the Holy Spirit bringing you the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That power is at work within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is ours through the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty big difference. The law gives you none. Through Jesus, you get his resurrection power. That looks a lot more desirable to me than the other. That's a contrast between the power supplied. Knowing God, seeking to be right with God through the law, seeking to be right with God through faith. What's the next issue? The object you trust. If you're seeking to be right with God through the law, you are trusting your sincerest efforts. How is the law summarized? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So what's de- what is what that depends upon you doing is you're trusting your best efforts to do that. The life of faith, what are we trusting? We're trusting that Christ's life and death and resurrection was sufficient to make us right with God. We trust the work of another. Christianity is the religion of the substitute. The technical term you often hear is the vicarious work of Christ. He did it in our place. It's going to be a theme that comes up right at the beginning of the sermon this morning. Christ suffered for you. He suffered in your place. Okay, so two different, two very different objects trusted. You're trusting your sincerest efforts on the one hand to be right with God through, through the law versus the perfect efforts of Jesus Christ that his death paid the penalty for your sins, his righteous life supplied the demands of the law of God. His resurrection guarantees that you will be with God forever because by faith, if it's true of Christ, it's true of you in union with Christ. We are as good as uh, in the presence of God. We've been raised up with Christ. We're seated with him in the heavenlies even right now. Next issue, what's your status? Well, if you're trying to be right with God through the law, your status is your slave. You owe the law. The law is a taskmaster. The law says, do this, don't do that, and you are absolutely obligated as a slave to provide all of those things. Your status, knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ, is you're a son. This is how Paul contrasts these things. He'll do it in Romans 8. He does it in Galatians. We are sons. We're adopted by grace. Our new status is sons and daughters of the living God. The moment we're justified, we are also adopted. Because remember, if it's true of Christ, it's true of all of you who are united to him by faith. Who is Christ? He's the son of God. If we're in union with Christ, we are sons and daughters of the living God. That's the difference in status. What's the next issue? What each of these two lives is looking for. If you're seeking to be right with God through the law, what you're asking for is justice. So based on your performance, you're asking to be rewarded. You're asked to be given what you deserve based on your law keeping. Okay? You're asking for justice. On the other hand, to know God through uh, faith in Jesus Christ is to ask for mercy. Don't give me what my sins deserve. Send them into the body of your son, Jesus. I mean, that's right. To be a Christian, you're essentially saying to God the Father, crucify your son in my place. He's the only hope that I have. Okay? So you're asking for two very different things. If you're seeking to be right with God, through your performance, through the law, your sincerest efforts, you're essentially living by justice versus living by mercy. We live alone by mercy. Mercy is good news because we know we can't do this. What's the goal of these two lifestyles? The goal of seeking to be right with God through the law is a reward. You've earned a status based on your law-keeping God supposedly lets you into his heaven. He rewards you with something. The goal on living by faith is a gift. Again, you receive the gift. You rest on favor conferred to you. Favor is placed upon you. So to know God by faith is to say, I can't keep the law. I'm helpless. I deserve condemnation. I'm trusting the work of another person. And God, the moment you trust the work of Christ, confers favor on you. He places it on you. That, that's consistent with being adopted as his son or his daughter. So this, the goal is 
is, is to live by a gift, live by grace, to live by mercy. His, we rest in his favor conferred. Jesus invites weary sinners to come unto me and find rest, right? I now have nothing to prove, nothing to lose. It's all done by Jesus. I have the favor of God, not based on my performance, but based on the infallible performance of Jesus and that, that performance ever pleads for me before the throne. The next issue is the demand. The law of God demands what? If you're to know God by law keeping, it demands perfection. Versus knowing God by faith demands fleeing to Jesus. Some of our officers have been reading through the book of James. It's one of the assignments that, that uh, Paul Cornwell has given some of the officers. And uh, James, and James talks about, you know, if you're guilty of one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. You can say, well, I've never murdered anybody, but if you've committed adultery, you're guilty of the entire law. So think of the law as a chain link, just a series of links. And you're hanging, if you're going to know God, if you're trusting the law to make you right with God, then your whole welfare depends on your ability to make strong every one of those links. Every link represents what you owe God in terms of the law. If you break one of those links, the whole thing, you fall. So if you're guilty in one point of the law, you might as well have broken the whole thing. That's one of the points uh, James makes in his epistle. That's the point I'm making here. The demand of the law is absolute perfection. The, the demand of uh, living by faith is fleeing to Jesus, running to Jesus, embracing Jesus, taking Jesus at his word, believing his promise, fleeing to Jesus. The next issue, what's the penalty? Well, the penalty of law-breaking, of trying to be right with God through, through the law is condemnation and death, right? Um, this is what was promised to Adam and Eve. The day you eat of it, you will die. That was referring to spiritual death, being absolutely alienated in relationship with God, as well as the eventuality of physical death and condemnation. The penalty of law-breaking is death, condemnation. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of Paul ends Romans 6. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the penalty of our, if you're living, if you're seeking to know God by faith, the penalty of law-breaking is paid by Jesus in full. So you remember those wonderful words, I think it's just in John's Gospel, when Jesus breathed his last, he said, it is finished. It's a Greek commercial term to telestai that means the debt is paid, paid in full. So if you had a creditor and you, you were in debt and you finally made your last payment, here's the last few shekels I owe you for that debt, he would cry out, to telestai, the debt is erased, it's paid in full, you owe him nothing, nothing else. A life of faith believes and rests upon the work of Jesus to pay in full what you owe God. In terms of the demands of the law, Jesus paid it all. In terms of the penalty of the law, Jesus paid it all. That's the hymn we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So, notice then that at this point, justice is served either by dying, by condemnation and death, if you're trying to be right with God through the law, justice is served, by paying that penalty in hell, that in God's economy, that's justice away from the presence of God forever due to your law breaking. Justice is served by Jesus. We trust in 
the work of Jesus to make us absolutely right with God. And that is the, the word we find in the New Testament, justification. Our sins imputed to Jesus, Jesus' righteousness imputed to us, justice is served. Our sins are removed, God can never condemn us. Jesus is clothed in his righteousness. That's how the Father views us, as if we have done everything the Son has done. That's how God relates to you. If you belong to Jesus, you woke up this morning justified, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, as safe in the Father's eyes as his Son Jesus is. His resurrection, session at the right hand of the Father, sitting down, having made purification for sins, that's where you are. That's, that's the status that you have. Justice is served. Next issue, relating to God through the law versus having a relationship with God through faith. When God searches. So if you're relating to God through the law, when God searches, what does he find? No one righteous. And this is how Paul unpacks it in Romans 3, drawing from Psalm 14. There's none righteous, no, not even one, none who does good, none who understands. So when the law searches, when the law searches you out for the things in you that can fulfill it, it doesn't find it. You come up empty. We can't give the law what it demands. There's no one righteous. When, and if we live by faith, when God searches, we see that Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. If we trust in Jesus, it's because we've been found by Jesus. He's given us life. He's given us faith. He's given us the gift of repentance unto life. He has came and sought and found us. And he has caused us then to uh, see his glory, to trust in him. And uh, now again, when God comes to search it for you to see, are you living up to everything he's required? He's satisfied because Jesus has supplied it in your stead. Next issue. What does each reveal about the glory of God? The law reveals the glory of God's holiness. It reveals the glory of his character. It reveals what God is like. Living by faith reveals the glory of God's mercy, that he does not give us what we deserve. One of the things that is, is significant about people seeking to be right with God through the law, through that track, is that religious activity can function as attempts to silence their conscience. Their conscience testifying, you haven't done enough, you're not good enough, you're not like God, <laughs> don't kid yourself, God is absolutely sinless, pure, righteous, holy, Sometimes religious activity can function to make people placate their conscience, feel better about themselves, silence their conscience. And if you've ever come to the end of your rope and realize this, like Luther's testimony, this isn't enough. No matter what I do, I know it's not enough. That's a blessed thing to have your conscience overpower and speak louder than basing your worth before God on your religious activity. So... Uh, the law reveals the holiness of God. Living by faith reveals his mercy. What emotions are annexed to each of these two lifestyles? If you're seeking to know God, be right with God through the law. Generally, on the one hand, would be pride. If you think you're succeeding, you tend to be proud. If you know you're not, you tend to be fearful and anxious because have I given God enough? Have I done enough? If you have a sense of the perfection of what God requires, you're trying to be right with God through your own performance, there's this lingering fear, doubt, 
uh, have I done enough? And of course the answer is, no, you haven't done enough. And it's a, it's a blessing to have a holy disturbance to realize I can never give God what he requires. And the hope for those kinds of people is in Jesus not trying to do more, not trying to clean up their act. It's fleeing to Jesus who did it all for us. Therefore, the life of seeking God through faith, the emotions that accompany that we read in the New Testament are peace, joy, gratitude, humility, confidence. I'm going to come back to these in our second handout in a moment, so stay with me. Notice the difference here. These emotions reveal where your ultimate perspective is. If you're seeking to know God by your performance through the law, you are introspective. You're looking within to see if you've done enough. How's your performance? Christianity is distinctly extrospective. You're looking outside of yourself for your hope, outside of yourself for your obedience, outside of yourself for your salvation. Christianity is extrospective. It looks out to Christ. Religion, knowing God through law-keeping is introspective. It's always focused on what I have done. What are the fruit of these two lifestyles? Uh, The fruit of the lifestyle of seeking to know God by works is what uh, the writer of Hebrews in 9.14 calls dead works. This is trying to be right with God through what we do. These things can never uh, serve as sacrifices for sin. They can't stand in the place of what we owe God for our sin. Good works can't compensate for that. The fruit of a life of faith is works of faith. And this is James chapter 2. What good is it, my friend, if a person says he has faith and he has no works? True faith changes your life. You bear fruit for God, but for very different reasons. Because, you, because he has saved you out of gratitude, not to get his acceptance. Um, don't forget your mute buttons, folks. Don't forget your mute buttons. And then the last thing to note in this handout is the essential problem. The essential problem with trying to know God by the law is uh, we're born under the, under the curse. We're sinned. We can't give it to him. And uh, that's why the Bible calls us all lame deaf and blind as regards to what it's really, as regards to our complete inability to be who God's called us to be. And the problem of a life and knowing God by faith is you must be born again. And that is a problem not too big for God. God is the one who causes us to be born again. God is the one who gives us life. This is, the, this is how the prophets see the New Testament, that he's going to take out a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He's going to pour out his spirit, and God is going to create this heart in us that is able to receive Jesus, able to receive grace, able to receive salvation. We must be born again. That is not a problem too big for God, and it is promised and secured for us in Jesus. Okay. Let's go to the next handout. If you're able to pull up this next handout, which is called Which Door to Holiness? Pleasing God. It really does matter. It's kind of another way of looking at the same issue. Now, why do I want to look at this handout? Because most people who are religious want to please God. They just know that's an important thing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our ambition to please the Lord. 
Right. Colossians 1, those of us in the church who are reading Colossians 1, this is Paul Cornwall's assignment for us to read Colossians over and over and over again, and specifically to focus in chapter 3. But Paul talks in Colossians 1 about walking in a manner of the word of the Lord, fully pleasing him in all respects. If you're a Christian, you want to please the Lord. You hear Jesus' words in John 15, if you love me, you'll obey me. So pleasing the Lord is an ambition that's an important thing to people who are generally religious and specifically to people who know Christ and have been saved by him. So, so what you have, though, are two very different paths to living a life that supposedly is pleasing to the Lord. If I'm reading the New Testament right and I'm living a life that's pleasing to the Lord, what should accompany that life is joy, confidence, love, worship, humility, and other-centeredness. And yet, you find those graces often missing in Christians. There's a lot of joyless Christians. There's a lot of proud Christians. There are a lot of Christians who lack humility. They lack the kind of praise that they sort of know they're supposed to be giving God. And one of the reasons is we tend to think, erroneously, that the gospel is for lost people The law is for saved people. Or you could put it this way. We know that we're justified by faith, but then we kind of think we are sanctified by the law. And there's a technical theological term for that error. We're not sanctified by the law. That's called moralism. And moralism muddies the waters between the indicative and the imperative. The indicative, this is who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. that's the indicative. It indicates the truth, the truth of who you are. Be who you are. The the imperative is all that flows in terms of behavior, thought, tongue, that flows out of that. This is what that new person looks like in action. We tend to miss those up because the gospel is very slippery. Think of your heart as, as, as being greased with, with misunderstanding or greased with pride or, or greased with a bent towards works righteousness. And the gospel hits your heart. And if, if you don't really work hard to keep the gospel in your heart, to keep the cross front and center, to be, to be a person of grace and mercy, the gospel tends to slip off. And what's left is this sense of needing to perform, to show God that we're worth saving, etc. It's, it's WWJD, what would Jesus do? If, if, if that's the sum of your Christianity, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Your da- which is a fine question in and of itself. If that's the essence of your Christianity, though, you're dangerously, inclo- uh, you're dangerously close to doing the right thing for the wrong reason. So let's go to the handout. Which door to holiness? Pleasing God. I'm assuming that most sincere Christians want to please God. And if you start on the left, you've got your typical believer here. And there are essentially two doors to travel through. Let's go across those two lines and come to the place at H where those two lines intersect. These two people tend to look on the outside the same. They look like people who are pursuing holiness, obedience, They want to live a life that's pleasing to God. So these two lines cross, as it were, and outwardly they look like uh, the same thing. 
But there are two very different paths to getting there that I think are, that explain why Christians tend to be joyless, worshipless, humility-less, other-centered-less. And that's because the path taken, which you would call sanctification by works, sort of starts initially through the door of duty versus the door of delight. And that's what I want to tease out. This is one way to differentiate sanctification by works. That's the top line. I'm calling it moralism. Versus sanctification by faith. That's the bottom line. I'm going to call it living by grace, gospel-centered living, Christ-centered living, a cross-centered life. Sanctification by faith. So the one starts with duty, the other starts with delight. In other words, where is your initial conflict going to be? Is your initial conflict, I need to prove my worth to God, I need to show God I was worth saving, I need to show God I'm a good person, is it that battle or is it the battle battling that? (laughs) Fighting the tendency to establish your worth before God based on your performance. So the one trajectory is essentially about duty. The bottom directory essentially about delighting in Jesus. Now what's the difference in feel between these two things? Initially, the the upper trajectory feels like the high road because you start the Christian life, yeah, you look like a good citizen. Maybe you're doing things that are new and different in your life. You're reading the Bible faithfully. You're going to church faithfully. You feel good about yourself initially. The, the, the bottom trajectory, essentially sanctification by starting with delighting who Jesus is, can feel undisciplined. It can feel passive. Wait, the first and foremost thing I'm supposed to do is simply delight in Jesus? Yes. Aren't I supposed to do something? Hold on. Find your heart's first delight not in duty, but in what you're delighting in, who you're delighting in. So there can be a difference in feel. And bear with me, these are, these are uh, generalizations, these are typical, these are, as a rule, it tends to be this way, it's not always this way. Some of us bounce from one trajectory to the other, you know, depending on where we are in our own ex- existential moments. What's the difference in focus, sanctification by works? Well, the focus on sanctification by works is on what you're supposed to do. Lists, rules, discipline, self-improvement. And so uh, preachers that believe this are are basically only giving you the imperative. So if you walked into this church, you heard a sermon, all you heard is what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You really didn't hear the gospel. You didn't hear the indicative. That would be where the focus would be here. The focus on on, uh, sanctification by faith is on the gospel. It's on grace. It's on Christ. It's on the cross. It's on I'm accepted. It's on uh, I've been adopted. I'm a son. Christ is my righteousness. And this is exactly how we get it in the New Testament. As we've seen, it's the beginning of Romans 6. It's be who you are. So uh, Colossians 3, uh, 12 through 17, the passage Paul has the whole church memorizing. How does it begin? And so, as those who are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. The key word there is as. 
Since you are chosen, since you are holy, set apart, since you are dearly loved, you're as loved by God as he loves his own son, Jesus. As those kinds of people, there's the indicative, here comes the imperative, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, generally humility and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. So you see, you're not seeking an identity based on your performance. You're living out an identity. You are beloved children. You are holy. You are chosen. You are dearly loved. Jesus is delighting in who he has made you to be. He's delighting in who you are. And you can't change that. You can't improve on that. You can't get him to like you more by better religious performance. Right now, if you're in union with Christ by faith, Jesus is delighting in who you are. Those are the difference in focus. What's the difference in what um, uh, folks repent of who are sensing sanctification by works versus sanctification by faith? Well, if 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 your Christianity is essentially focused on duty, then you're repenting of behaviors, what you might call the technicolor sins. And you tend to replace one behavior with another, which, of course, is Pauline Put off this, put on this. Paul speaks that way, even in our Colossians 3 passage that I'll allude to in the sermon later this morning. You repent, you tend to replace, you tend to uh, repent of behaviors and, and trusting yourself that you have the power to bring those about. When you're being sanctified by faith, you tend to focus below those behaviors on your heart attitudes. You see that the reason you're jealous, the reason you're lustful, the reason you're slothful, the reason you're critical, the reason you're materialistic, the reason you are hateful, spiteful, judgmental, is it's in your heart. So these attitudes, these sins of the tongue, these sins of behavior, these technicolor sins have at their root heart attitudes of pride, unbelief, self-righteousness. And so you, you begin to repent of those kinds of sins and see, those, see your sins as essentially sins against love, not just against the law. People who are sanctified um, by works basically see sins vis-a-vis, here's what the law requires, I didn't give it, here's what the law forbids, I transgressed it. That's all true. But when you're sanctified by faith, you're growing in your love for Jesus, you realize, ah, that was a sin against Jesus' love for me. There slaps in his merciful, kind, gracious face because he has turned his face to me for good and I chose to do this. So there's a deeper grief, a deeper existential mourning of what my sins do to the heart of Jesus. Moving over to E on this contrast here. What's the motivation? Sanctification by works, the motivation tends to be fear. I'll get in trouble if I get caught. God won't like me if I've not done enough. Pride, I, I, uh, I love my performance. That gives me a, an ability to look down on others. It's very subtle. We don't necessarily consciously tell ourselves that, but I think that sort of pride works in our hearts when we're seeking to be sanctified by works. Then there's guilt, um, um, uh, which is... You know, guilt is fine, it's true. When we're broken the law, we are guilty. But we're often 
also motivated by self-righteousness. I want to prove that I'm not really that bad of a person, so I'm going to start doing this differently. That's a, self-righteousness is a really bad motive for doing the right thing. What's the motivation when you're seeking to be sanctified by faith? It's wonder. Oh my goodness, this is what Jesus did for me. He, he loves me. It's gratitude. How do I thank him for this gift of life? How do I thank him for this him laying down his life for me? How do I thank him for rescuing me from sin and death and condemnation and hell? And there's a kind of desperation for grace. Oh, I need grace. If grace doesn't show up in my heart, I will be motivated by fear, by pride, by self-righteousness. So, so there's, there's a new sense of come Jesus and running to Jesus in desperation. Jesus, if you don't show up, if you don't give me grace, if you don't conquer these things in my heart, I'm a goner. <laughs> What's the driving force? between these two different ways of being sanctified. sanctified. Sanctification by works, the driving force is the sense, I owe God everything. And of course that's true, right? Uh, we're the whole realm of nature, mind that we're present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all, when I survey the wondrous cross. That's all true. We owe God everything. But, but you, you, you sort of live as this constant debtor. I haven't given God enough. You feel burdened by the law. You feel the weight of the law. You, you're just constantly aware of failing. And I owe God more. And of course, we technically, we always owe God more, although Jesus has already given it. So notice the difference between I owe God everything and sanctification by faith, I'll give God everything. Because of his love, I want to give him everything. And parents know this. When you're, when you're interacting with your children and disciplining them or asking them for something and it's, okay, I'll do that versus their pleasure to do what is right. And see, thus far, all the way across the top line, sanctification by duty, in all of these things, you really don't need a relationship with Jesus. It's all focused on you. When you have a relationship with Jesus, the most beautiful person in the world, your motives, the driving force changes. I want to give him everything. I want to die to myself. I want him to be the one that's being uh, revealed through me, glorified through me. Then I identify the crunch. Eventually, both of these hit a crunch point. The crunch point on the top line, sanctification by works, is initially... This is an easier trajectory. It's initially easier to keep all the rules. But the more serious you get with being like Christ, the harder it is to be like Christ. Can I really forgive the way Christ forgives? Can I really bear with injustice the way Christ bore with injustice? Can I really be as zealous for his Father's glory as Christ was? It gets harder and harder. And if you, if you dismiss from your mind the demands and simply focus on your performance, you'll live in self-righteous pride the rest of your life. Or if you refuse to dismiss with demands, you're gonna live in despair. I'm never giving God enough. I'm trying, but you're living in despair. And a lot of Christians, and I'm teaching this lesson because I don't want you to be living in despair. I want my heart to be rescued from despair by the power of the gospel. That's the crunch that eventually comes, either sort of this self-righteous way of living or despair, 
the crunch that comes when you live by delight, by sanctification, by faith, is you get to know your heart, you get to know more and more the wickedness of your heart, the depth of your sin, and the crunch is, oh my gosh, how can he love me? How can he keep loving me? How can God stay committed to me? I keep failing him. I see more and more the nuances, the depths, the hideousness, the heinousness of my pride. How can God love this? And of course, I've got to go back to, I'm trusting the work of Christ, not my work. That's why he loves me in the first place. So that's, that's the crunch. I find myself at war in my heart with sin. Could he really love me? And again, we're back to this equation. Rather than saying, I'm loved, but I'm messed up, and staying focused on the fact that I messed up, that leads to despair. I'm going to live this way. I messed up. Yes, that's right, but I'm loved. I'm going to stay focused on the love of Jesus for me. So here these two lines cross. Um, they, they sort of outwardly look like the same person. They're walking in holiness, obedience. They're trying to please God. But here's where the rubber meets the road. The proof of these two lifestyles is in uh, one's emotions. As a, this is the way I started. When you're living by faith this, and Christ and staying focused on the gospel and his unfailing mercy and the love of Jesus for you, eventually that brings joy. It brings peace. It brings gratitude. And amazingly, rather than a critical attitude towards others, it brings love for others. Because in their foibles, you see yourself. And knowing what you, you've, you've grown in the depth of your understanding of how wretched you are and yet how loved you are, that love gets into you and you're able to love others. It's the Colossians 3 passage that we're all memorizing. If anyone has a complaint, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, as Christ has forgiven you, so also you and beyond all these things, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So this really shows up in your fundamental emotions as a believer and the way you treat others versus the trajectory of duty, sanctification by works. You get, if, if you're succeeding or, or failing, you tend to be frustrated with others. Uh, life is drudgery, it's joyless. You move into self-protective modes because you're desperate for your own reputation, desperate for your own welfare, desperate for your own image. And if you're failing, you've got to find ways to bolster that. And um, what I have here on the handout is this is a slippery slope. This is a downhill slope because all along your relationship with God has essentially been a bargain. I'm doing all of this for you. What if God doesn't end up doing for you what you want him to? and you get disillusioned with God. And maybe you turn away from the faith or you still go to church, you still call yourself a Christian, you still go through the Christian motions, but you have fundamentally no affection for God, no sense of wanting to be in a close relationship with him. So, again, as a rule, these are two trajectories. They don't, you know, they're not hard and fast, but hopefully there's some issues here that help you tease out where you might be in your Christianity. We want to be those who are, because so loved by Jesus, ravishingly humbled by him, in love by him, and showing that love to others uh, in the way we treat them and the way we worship the Lord. We will start next week then in uh, chapter 7 at verse 7. Let me pray for us. 
Lord, thanks for my brothers and sisters, and thank you for the difference uh, between seeking to be sanctified by our own efforts, by law, and this, this drudgery, this joyless Christianity, this either despair if we know we're failing or self-righteousness if we think we are. Thank you that the gospel truly delivers us from that, and it delivers us into the hands of Jesus, and we want to be more and more into that heart of love. So Jesus, direct us into your heart of love. May we rest in that love, drink it, be intoxicated by it, live by mercy and grace, and, uh, and as a result, see you more and more glorified in our lives as people who are radiating this love because we are seeking it above all else. Have mercy on us to this end. Bless our worship together here in a half hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you all for joining me. Uh, I will see you soon and hopefully next week in our class. Thank you.